Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Metz Up listeners? Back here for episode number 53 of the Metz Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffneck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets' uh, really painful end to the season here. Just finished up a series where we got, whew, we got swept by the Brewers. Shocker. Who saw that coming? Uh, definitely not us, right? No, no, not us. Not us. Did not play well. Played about as bad of baseball as we've played all year long. Uh, bad offense, bad defense, bad pitching. There really wasn't many positive things to take out from these games. But hey, we'll still talk about it because we do love to torture ourselves here on the Mets Up Podcast. We told you. We would be here after every series for the entire season, and that's exactly what we're doing. So make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at MetsUp, on the YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. Uh, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. Uh, drop us a follow, give us a five-star rating or review as well. really does help us out. And that's all I got for the plug here. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about it now, James. How you feeling? Dude, this has been an actual like catastrophic collapse by this Mets team. The way we've played in the second half, this is one of the worst stretches I can remember literally in our lifetimes from a Mets team, like just rolling over and dying like this. This one doesn't hurt as bad as, you know, the 07, 08 teams, because those are some uh, different kind of historic collapses, but this one hurts different. This one just, it's really a kick in the balls. I don't know how to explain it any other way than that. It's really disappointing. It's This is like an embarrassing way to end the season. Before that Pirates series, that string of seven straight games against the Pirates that we were so excited for before the All-Star break, the Mets were 46-38 and 38 in first place in the National League East by four and a half games, and the only team over 500 in the National League East at the time. The Nationals were only five games behind us then. Remember that? You guys remember that? that was, those were the good days, right? Remember we were sweating about only taking, you know, a few games from the Pirates? Oh, my God. Where? I mean, I know what you're going to tell us next year, but where'd the season go? Well, as I'm sure everyone knows, right now, after this second consecutive sweep, the Mets are 73-82. and 82. That was a second consecutive sweep, right? Last series? Yeah. yeah. Who did we play at the beginning? Oh, the Red Sox. Right, right, right. Yeah, Red won Sox. the one Phillies game and swept by the Cardinals. Wow. Yeah. So now our record stands at 73-82, and 82, so it was impossible for the Mets to have a winning record this year. We were, of course, eliminated from the playoffs. We didn't even mention that because it doesn't even matter. And the Mets, since July 8th, are 27-44 and 44, with that's, a 380 winning percentage. It's, like, embarrassing. It's disappointing. It's, it's so, so sad. What a travesty. What a waste of a fucking year. I mean, to just add salt to the wound, you see a team like the Cardinals who— just a few weeks ago, we're 71 and 69. Not a particularly impressive record by any means. Two games above 500. Then they rattle off 16 in a row. Imagine if the Mets could have just rattled off three or four in a row a couple times where this team could be. I mean, 
Oh, I'd love to play 16 games of good baseball. We haven't played good baseball in two months. I mean, dude, that's the same thing with the Braves, too. The Braves were meandering around 500 the entire year and had one 10-game winning streak that propelled them all the way past us No one with no chance to even catch them. They're literally only 11 games over 500 right now. That's their entire season, those games after the, after the trade deadline. Like, I feel like what happened is normally, like, the last few years, we've had a bad May and June. That's where we've, our season's fallen apart, and then we've had a lot to make up from. Yeah. This year, we had the nice cushion. We got through those months really easy, and the dog days of summer hit, and this team just stunk. I mean, there's no way around it. The team's been god-awful, terrible, awful, disappointing, disgraceful. A 380 win percentage. We're talking like Baltimore Orioles, Arizona Diamondbacks bad. That's horrible. And we did have the six-game winning winning streak through that awful run of Washington, Miami, Washington, Miami. Which is also crazy that we had a six-game winning streak. <laughs> but that was only one of our two winning streaks of at least three games. Just three games since that July 8th time. And the other three-game winning streak was three in a row against Washington in the beginning of August. So if you take out games against the Nationals in the over these last three months, seventy that's 71 games. That's not a joke of a sample. The Mets have been one of the worst teams in baseball over about half of a season. And if you take out the easy series with a Washington team that sold almost all of their good players, they've had Lane Thomas, the world beater, leading off now for about a month. We don't even have any winning streaks whatsoever. It's been such an utter collapse of this team. They look dead. I've never seen the Mets team look this dead. So dead. It's it, We'll talk about it because even Gary and Keith and... It's starting to get a little, uh, I don't want to say chippy, because that's not the right word. But ornery. Ornery. Ornery is the word. It is starting to get ornery. Mets fans on Twitter, rightfully so, not happy. It feels like everyone's kind of done with the season, and I can't blame you. I really can't. It's hard to invest time into watching what is literal garbage on the field right now. Bad, bad, bad vibes. This is not what I expected at all this year. Not in the slightest. If you told me we wouldn't win first place, which was my prediction anyway, I would have believed you 100%. Maybe even miss out on the playoffs because the wild card would have been competitive with the Padres possibly winning 90 games at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would have been up. I would have been disappointed in that we didn't make the playoffs, but we would have at least had something to build on forward. I feel like there's more questions than answers right now with this Mets team, and that's kind of scary. There's way more questions than answers. Like we're literally one of the worst teams in baseball. We're locked and loaded to have a top 10 pick in the draft again for what feels like like the fifth time in six years. Honestly. We're, approach, we're approaching one of the longest playoff droughts like of our lifetime here. Yeah, we are. Oh, bro, I don't even want to hear that. I don't want to even think about that. Uh, I, I can't believe the season's gotten to this. I really can't. And I know we've kind of been talking for you know five, six minutes here without actually talking about the games, but I feel like you guys can feel our pain. It's just there's no world where I imagine this happening. The Mets might have 90 losses. There's a very good chance we do. And it's not even like, actually, I don't even know if there's enough games. Oh, we can't us. have 90 losses. No, it's not. <laughs> we'd have to lose every game of the year, and that would only put us to 89. But it's just, it's not even anger. Like, the anger has melted away. We got our anger out a few weeks Way ago. Gone. This is just such, like, disappointment and just, uh, what's the word? Apathy. I just don't give a fuck about, yeah. like, what's going on with this team right now. It's just no one even cares. And Friday night, that's ironic because this was, like, we actually scored first. I cannot remember the last time we scored first in a game. Had to be weeks. Yeah, Brandon Nimmo, triple, because Brandon Nimmo is about the only thing that's really keeping me interested at all in the Mets is that Brandon Nimmo is is awesome. I love Brandon Nimmo. Dude continued to have just a great series. He hit really well in Milwaukee this series. Three for four game, I think, at one point. He had this triple in game one, and Lindor drove him in real quick, too, with that RBI, which, like, productive out, something that we haven't done a lot of this year. Still can't get a hit with runners in scoring position. Not a thing we do. 
but we did get a run. If Brandon Nimmo ever wound up on the Brewers, like that was the team he played for, he'd probably win MVP. Probably, somehow. They, they'd figure out how to get him to hit like 25 homers, still hit 300, get on base at like a 600 level. <laughs> he'd become a gold glove center fielder. He'd somehow get even better. I saw someone on Twitter the other day when I asked about most overrated players in baseball say Brandon Nimmo. I mean... I saw that too. I really think they were trolling you. Has to be. Has to be, right? Because you can't, you can't think this. If anything, he's criminally underrated. Your responses under that tweet were raw as fuck. People were really putting you through it. A lot of Lindor comments. A lot of Lindor and Baez. It was, it was a personal attack. But again, enough about my Twitter. Let's get back to this game here. Because uh, you know how we scored that first inning run? Well, gave it right back. Colton Wong, because why not? Colton Wong, kick us in the teeth. Home run. And the worst part, too, and now in the 1-1 game. That was, I want to say, again, it was winnable, but like not because the Mets are so bad. But we made Eric Lauer look like one of the best pitchers on planet Earth. Which he's just simply not. Now, he has been very good this year. He has had a nice year, and he's looked great of late, but he is not the best pitcher on planet Earth. No, he's been good, but he's been like a soft contact god who mixes up his off-speed pitches and uses good location. The Mets didn't have a hit from the second until the seventh inning in this game. That's have a hit. just a thing we kind of do a little too often. Jake Woodford, remember that? But, like, at least we're putting the ball in play. We had 17 whiffs against Eric Lauer. That's the second most in any start he's had in his entire career. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. It's not like we're throwing out the AAA lineup even. It's We have our guys back. We have stars on this team. <laughs> no one can get a hit. And it just compounded the problems that McGill was, again, just, like, very bad. He's uh he's hitting he's he's hitting his um Taiwan Walker same thing he's hitting the wall he, he only had four whiffs in this game Edwin Diaz literally had five in his one inning of work <laughs> that's never good nope McGill's changeup got no whiffs he threw fifty five percent fastballs velocity was up he touched ninety seven and a half his average velocity was over ninety five today which is like almost a full mile an hour tick higher than his yearly average but it really didn't matter because he wasn't effective more walks and strikeouts it was just brutal entirely brutal and cherry on top. Come on, guys. You know what it's going to be. You know what we're going to talk about it. We have to mention it. Brad Hand, baby. He's back. We got we to gotta see what we have with Brad Hand. We got to see what we got out there with that lefty. You never know. He doesn't have a body of work to take a look at and figure out what he is. Uh, came in, gave up a run because... That's what he does. He's Brad Hand. I actually wanted to like flame him more, and I went through like his stats with the Mets. It's really not as bad as it seems. He was at 3.86 ERA as a member of the Mets. I thought that number was going to be like nine. He has a lot of inherited runs. Tons. I know, I know, I know. It's hard to find that out. And he's striking out like almost one guy per inning, which is kind of funny. I really thought this was going to be like even strikeouts and walks and like a 9.6 ERA. Well, that's like, that's why it fools everybody is because like you can look at that and be like, well, maybe he's not that bad, but it's, you dive deeper into it. You got to get past the, the blanket of numbers that are out there and look, look deeper into it. I almost think it's the opposite. You know, I don't want to look deep into this at all. If you could just watch Brad Hand throw like six or seven pitches against any type of competent Major League Baseball player, you're like, oh, this guy can't get anybody out. The eye test, the one few time that watched the eye test is better than looking at the numbers. Brad Hand is on the mound and Willie Adamas is at the plate, like licking his lips. <laughs> it's like, what's going to happen next? We talked about the Red Sox batters being really comfortable in the box. Brewers batters were super oh comfortable God. in the box too, man. Brewers batters were bringing beach chairs out to home plate, lounging. And also, just a little thing here. How good is Willie Adamas? He's awesome. What a, He's what a, so good. How often do you see, like, really cool, even trades like that, where both Never. teams were helped out tremendously? It feels like the Rays probably do it more than anybody, because, like, they will give up some pieces in times and trades. Obviously not the Archer trade, but they have given up some guys in the past that have been very competent Major League Baseball players. Well, I actually tweeted that out on... um. Uh, I think it was like Thursday night because Joe Ryan threw another gem. And like I feel like the 
the narrative about trading with the Rays on Twitter is like, you can't trade with the Rays. They rip everybody off. Never make a trade with the Rays. You should always want to make a trade with the Rays because every single player in the organization is talented and has tons of potential. Like, the Twins got Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. While Nelson Cruz rakes, and he's probably going to be taking very critical at-bats in the playoffs for the Tampa Bay Rays as the one seed in the American League who clinched it with a week to play. Who Tell me who saw that coming. Joe Ryan it looks like an immediate ace, like, in the major leagues. Like Joe Ryan's legit. Joe Ryan's legit as fuck. Willie Adams came to the Brewers and was, like, the difference maker this team's been looking for for literally, like, four or five years. Like, since they made that first run in 2019. He's been one of the best players in baseball. Not just shortstop. Players in baseball since he's gone to Milwaukee. It's unbelievable. It would be cool if the Mets could, you know, we had Javi Baez who's been one of the best hitters in baseball since getting traded. The problem is the team around him just hasn't been very good. Well, I mean, we also made a great trade with the Rays this year, and this will transition us into game two because Rich Hill has been, like, one of the more consistent players in this entire team since we traded for him. Like, if we didn't have Rich Hill, we'd still be awful, but we'd be much, much, much worse. Like, remember we were pitching Jared Eikhoff? Gerard? Remember that? Uh, like, Rich Hill is just... Again, he's not gonna. You're not gonna watch him, and you're not gonna go, "Wow, man, what what a pitcher he is!" But he has just gone out seemingly every single start for the Mets and done a really nice job. And I feel like it's always him who goes toe to toe with the aces. Like he what he like threw for like equal frames with a uh, Wheeler. I think he had another one a couple weeks ago. I can't remember, but like. He went out there against Corbin Burns on Saturday night and was like, I'm on this fucking mound too. Like, you're not going to fuck with me. And if you thought we were going to have a chance against Corbin Burns after Eric Lauer, like, turned us into Swiss cheese, like, my God. Corbin had 22 whiffs, nine strikeouts. We only had three hard-hit balls the entire fucking game. He was perfect for the first nine batters of this game. It was just, it was complete and utter domination. There was nothing else I even possibly expected. I mean, he's a Cy Young Award winner in the National League. It's going to be hard to hit him. And when he's uh, when he's cooking like this, it's really hard. I mean, the Cy Young's either going to be Corbin Burns or Ranger Suarez. One of the two. Ranger Suarez is not winning it. I will not let you <laughs> infiltrate our viewers' brains. <laughs> Ranger Suarez is going to have possibly the lowest ERA in Major League history with more than 100 innings thrown a season. That is a true statement. Does it matter? Maybe. <laughs> Through a complete game shutout on Saturday night. Wouldn't it be sick, like, if... You, if because here's what would happen. One of our pitchers would throw a complete game shutout, but we would score no runs, and then we'd go to the 10th, and then that would happen. And that happened to Rich Hill. He threw, I think, a no-hitter a perfect game with the Dodgers like six or seven years ago, and it was 0-0 in the 10th inning, and he had to lose it. Oh, man, it's so frustrating, man. So frustrating. Rich Hill, 6Ks, two earned runs through five innings pitched, and yes, we still are going up against Corbin Burns, but, like, he didn't pitch the entire game. He doesn't pitch every single inning. You could score against some other guys. He threw seven, and then the Brewers' bullpen comes in. They're pretty fucking unhittable. It's a marvel to watch Devin Williams live. Like, he he was literally built in a lab because the Brewers just, like, scientifically create pitchers. They invented a pitch. Like, how? who who does shit like that? How do you do that? That weird, like, it's not a screwball, but it is a screwball, but it's more of a changeup. I don't even know really how to describe it, but it's unhittable. I know that. It's the airbender. And, like... And Josh Hader, too. The Mets aren't going to hit Josh fucking Hader. We had Jose Peraza got us the miracle in June, but, like, that's never going to happen again. Like, it was a complete fucking clusterfuck to try and win a game like this. Like, Jesus Christ. Even Corbin Burns. Like, he didn't... He, like, tapered down his repertoire for this game. 85% of the pitches he threw were colors and curveballs. And they do make up the line share of his repertoire, but not that much. And we couldn't do jack shit against either of them. We swung at those two pitches 54 times, and we swung and missed on 20 of those. Just, there was... 
absolutely no chance that we were going to be able to hit Corbin Burns, Devin Williams, or Josh Hader. No. I mean, Javi, Javi got an RBI. That was that was nice because Javi is just still locked in at the plate pretty much. He's he's a beast. Legit superstar. And, like, just to get back to Rich Hale, he gave up the two earned runs. And it was on, like, a tough two-out single to Eduardo Escobar. And as a quick aside, I'm super jacked up to watch Eduardo Escobar in the playoffs this year. That's my boy. I've, I've been telling you about Eduardo Escobar, and you were – you weren't as high on me. I'm not going to say you disliked him, but you were like, eh, he's whatever. I disliked him before this season because he just struck out a ton, was rocking like abnormally high Babbis for a player with no speed and didn't hit the ball very hard. And I was like, eventually this is not going to work. But this year he's been hitting the ball much harder. And you talk about juice. That guy is the king of juice. Like, he's a juice man. Big juice man. Like, it's going to be really fun to watch him and this entire Brewers team in the playoffs. Like, we got beat so bad that we're like, they're so good. I love watching them. What a great fun team. Trying to be happy about something. We can at least appreciate that we got to watch a team that could win the World Series play against the Mets. Oh, definitely. And, like, all the things considered, Rich Hill, while he pitched five innings, six Ks, two earned runs, he only allowed three hard-hit balls. Like, he matched Corbin Burns in that department. But what are we going to do when we only score one run? Like, and I think... Keith and Gary really started to um, put the heat on this team this game, and I think it's super warranted. Yeah, what what was the thing that Keith said? He called. He basically said they're, what, a second-division team? He said the Mets look like a second-division team, and he's not going to put lipstick on a pig. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit the nail right on the head. I think we want to believe that this team is better and that we should be better, and I don't think we're wrong for thinking at the start of the season, but if you're still thinking that now, I mean, where's your head at? Because it is what, 150 games into the season, and nothing has changed. I feel like such an asshole for thinking the Mets were going to be like one of the elite hitting teams in baseball this year. Like, I look up and down this lineup, and half of these guys just they can't play. Like, they just can't do it. No, we don't have capable everyday players at every position, and that's really tough when there are a bunch of teams who do have them. Tons of teams that have them, a lot of them. All the ones that make the playoffs have those, and we just don't. And then... After this, Gary started taking shots at Rojas. I think everyone is pretty much done with him. While he's not like the worst manager in the world, he's definitely being scapegoated for a lot of these issues. Which I don't know. You got you got sometimes you just gotta hate the lunch lady. Yeah, that happen. I don't know. I again, I think we're both in the same boat here that Rojas isn't the problem, mm-hmm. but he also might not be the solution. And I think that's maybe where we've changed our thought process from the beginning of the year. Is that we thought Rojas is going to be the guy. He's going to be the dude to help lead us there. And maybe that was a mistake on us. Maybe we were getting a little excited. But he, I don't know. I'm starting to lose faith that he's not the answer. I, again, not the problem, but not the solution. Gary was upset that Rojas was not chirping the umpire. And before the game, the Mets had found out that they were eliminated from playoff contention. Well-known, public info, the players, the managers, they had to know. There's no way you didn't. And if you didn't know, you know the season's over. Gary wasn't calling him out for dogging it. He wasn't saying you weren't trying hard, but he was upset that Rojas seemed to not care about the balls and strikes, which were, you know, questionable at times, especially when Rojas has been one of the more vocal managers in baseball this year about calls, balls and strikes. So to Gary, he was upset. He was basically like, listen, even though you're out of playoffs, even though the season's over, you still got to play the games. You still got to go out there. You still got to fight a little bit. I think Gary's kind of right. This is something that we're seeing with this team right now. There just really isn't a fight left in them right now. And I, can I blame them? No. It's a long season. It's been a rough season for the Mets. It's been, they've been through a lot of shit. I'm sure they're tired. I'm sure they're ready to go home. But 
got 10 more games. I mean, you got to go out swinging a little bit, a little bit something. I also think that this is more of an issue because it's something that Luis Rojas did so consistently earlier in the year when this team was competitive and they were like fighting every single day. If he was never a vocal manager and he never really tried to chew out umpires, like I would say, yeah, sure. But remember he had that week when things were starting to really go to shit in July when he just argued every single call, got thrown out like multiple games, like showed fire. Like if that's going to be your personality, you have to be consistent with it. I don't want... It makes me kind of like lose faith in his authenticity that he was doing something a lot and now is starting not to anymore. And that is probably the biggest um, insult of him I could possibly say. That's the biggest red flag that I've noticed now over this absolute massive collapse. Yeah, if we're going to make something of it, maybe it makes me think that he doesn't really know what to do. And that's, that is concerning with manager. If you don't know what to do, it might not be the right guy. And that maybe makes me think that that Rojas was like, maybe I got to fire these guys up. Maybe that's something with the players too. Maybe he's like, I got to try and fire these guys up. Or if they're not going to care, I'm not going to care. I don't know. I really don't know what it is, but it's just not great in Mets land right now. And the fact that Gary and Keith and Ron and everybody is just kind of openly now, I don't want to say bashing, but kind of not holding back at all. It's kind of showing that uh, everyone's kind of done with it. Yeah. And, but that's why these guys are the best in the biz. Like you watch other other teams play baseball and their announcers are complete fucking snooze fest. Like we, these are, these are real fans who care very much about success of this team. And when things are not going well, they're going to say it. And we as Mets fans have to appreciate that because they're the only reason to turn the TV on now. Literally. Like they are so entertaining. They're so good at their job. I tried to watch some games today of just random teams. Snooze fest. Can't do it. Can't do it. Good games. Close games. Not interested because the announcers literally don't say anything. Gary, Keith, and Ron, they keep you interested in the game even when you know the season is dead in the water. And I guess that'll just take us like slowly and solemnly into game three where Carlos Carrasco was pitching. And Mark, you'll never guess what happened the first inning of this game. He had to have a one, two, three inning. No hits, no runs. You're like really close, but he gave up a home run. Oh, okay. Yeah, we knew that was coming. I mean, who do you give it up to this time? Was it my boy? It was my boy, Willie Adamas, right? I think it was Willie Adamas. I was, yeah, because Colton Wong was the game one. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, it was Willie Adamas. But this Carlos Carrasco first inning thing is now just becoming comical. This was his 11th start of the season, so he's pitched 11 first innings, and he's given up 18 earned runs. It's unbelievable. And he completely wasted Francisco Lindor's top of the first inning home run. That again, Which got like, the Mets winning early in this game. We were leading twice in three games. That never happens to this team. No, never happens. We don't we don't get ahead early, and apparently we don't hold it when we get ahead early either anymore. I I don't know. I like I don't want to make this a storyline because it it really doesn't matter at this point in the season. But like it is fascinating, fascinating how he just continues to get shelled in the first. Dude, his first inning ERA rose this game from fourteen point four zero to fourteen point seven three, and oh I did God. some stat head research, and this would be right now the twentieth highest ERA of the history of baseball for a single pitcher in a in the first inning. In, like, literally the history of the game, 20th highest. 20th highest. And this is, again, all, all pitchers who have made at least 10 starts, so at least 10 first innings. But it's actually not the highest of any pitcher in baseball this year, which shocked me. J.C. Mejia on Cleveland, who is just not very good. He is higher. He's in, like, the, the low 15s. J.C. Mejia. That's I, that's not even a real person. Again, John, Carl, like, John Carlos Mejia. Who? <laughs> We're comparing uh, him to Carlos Carrasco? <laughs> he has a higher first inning ERA than him, but the 20th... 20th highest first inning ERA in the history of baseball, Carlos Carrasco this year. The history of baseball. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the good thing is that, uh, these games don't matter. The season's over. Yeah, so that's, all. that's the solace in it. Just get better for next year. And what's crazy about him is he, he just normally does well. This one, not so much. He, he got shelled the rest of the game. 
No, well, he gave up three more in it, runs in the second inning, and he wound up this game with more walks and strikeouts, five earned runs, and just 53% of his pitchers were mid-90s fastballs. Like, you're not you're not going to do that against a team who can hit like the Brewers. There's been this weird twist in what seems like the Mets pitchers' focus recently. It just feels like very, very four-seam fastball-heavy. Fastball do they think that they're facing the Mets batters? I don't know. What's going on there? Because... I mean, typically, around baseball, you look around the numbers, teams hit fastballs. It's just the Mets have an ineptitude. But everyone else seems to hit them. I think just trying to crawl to the end of the year. Just get the fuck out of here. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Carrasco doesn't have feel for his off speeds. Maybe he just quit this game. Maybe they're, I don't even want to say they're experimenting because it's a four-seam fastball. It's probably not experimentation here. It's just, they're just not good. This team's just really not good. We're not competitive. We just fucking stink. Like, it's literally just Javi, Lindor, and Nemo. And Javi and Lindor did get the RBIs, some of the RBIs in this game. They just guys continue to hit. They seem to be like some kind of magic when they're on the field together, even though the rest of the team completely sucks dick. And that error sequence, I think it was the seventh inning, was just such awful, bad, sloppy baseball. It was just a sign of a team that has quit. Yeah, we just uh, we kind of brought it back. It was, what, 5-4, I think, at the time, or 6-4, whatever it was. It was 5-4. It, it was a one-run game. Yeah, close game. Uh, VR made that weird, just like kind of shit the bed, had a freak out. It was Jonathan VR at third base, like you told me off the podcast. You're going to get that sometimes with him. That's what you signed up for. Caballero Loco, it's, it's going to happen. He, like, deked to first. Like, his mind wasn't made up. Like, when you're playing baseball, you're taught, know where you're going with the ball before it's hit to you, so you could just react. And he, like, made a movement to first. And they, in the middle of that, he decided, the movement to home, middle of that, he decided to throw the first. He wasn't really set. It was just it was just a bad error, a real mental lapse, bad baseball. Lindor also made an error a few batters later on a very tough play in the hole that, like, opened the floodgates. It was a miracle he even got to the ball. And, sure, he made an error. Like, he could have made a perfect throw. He didn't, but... I'm not going to kill him for that. I'm not going to kill the guy for anything right now. He's just wound up having like a very good season. So yeah, he uh, you know, one of the more disappointing years in the stat book because you see that 720 OPS or whatever it is, and you're like, that's not what we signed up for. But it's just it's whatever, man. I'm just so I'm so over the whole like Lindor stinks thing. Like if you can't take a deeper look into what he's actually done since like kind of figuring it out, he's he's back to normal. He's been very very good this year outside of that first two months. Dude, he's been actually fan. I don't want to say fantastic, but I think he's been pretty fucking good after that dreadful start. The fact that he's gotten his full season WRC plus over 100 is really that, good. It means he's like literally even for as bad as he was for legit 50 of 118 games that he's played. He has become now an, a statistically above average hitter in baseball. It reminds me so much of Beltran's first year. Yeah. Where it was so terrible and he quietly looked really good. And then he exploded for the rest of the contract. He's one of the best players in baseball, just like Lindor. And on top of that, Lindor is, like, walking at a career-high rate. His power is, like, pretty much in line with... I mean, that's definitely well below where he's been for a lot of his career. His bat bip is at, like, a shocking low for a player who hits the ball as hard as he does, and it was as fast as he is. His full-season slugging is at 397. I feel like that's going to get over 400 by the end of the season. Like, this really isn't, like, a dreadful year. People who want, like, to kill the guy and just crucify him for having an awful year and blaming the shit on him, look in the mirror. You can't do that. This is the best player in this team, and you must should be treated as such. Well, yeah, outside of Jacob DeGrom, best offensive player. Of course, yeah. And that's, again, that's the big dark cloud hanging over the entire second half. This is when Jacob DeGrom got hurt. If he's pitching every five days, we have seven, eight, nine more wins. We're probably still very much in the thick of it. And It's different juice, too. Different juice. Way different juice. He's the best player on your team, and you lost him. If you think the best player off any team in baseball, what do you think is going to happen? Where would the Yankees be without Garrett Cole? Where would the Blue Jays be without, without Robbie Ray, as funny as yeah. that is to say? Again, that this happened to the Rays. You took Tyler Glass in that way, but they're a different animal. You can't compare yourself to the Rays. No, you can't because you're not going to be the Rays right now. It's just not the Mets aren't built to be like the Rays right now. I'd love to get there at some point, but we're not there. We're not even close. 
Imagine if Zach Wheeler just his, he was out for the season in the middle of July. The Phillies would be as bad as we are right now, if not worse. There'd be oh, no definitely no help. Like this this isn't how it works. If Gavin Gaussman or just like if something bad happened and he didn't pitch the whole second half, the Giants would be ten games behind the Dodgers by now, instead of still barely ahead of them. And that's why it's so important to have that depth. And we've talked about this on multiple episodes, but that's why it's so important. And not just from the starting pitching or the relief pitching aspect of the game, but the entire organization needs to be deep. Look at who the Brewers pulled out this series. Look at who the Giants have pulled out. We keep saying these same teams over and over again because there's a common theme here. The teams who are at the top, the teams who are succeeding, have some of the deepest rosters. They have the top-line talent, for sure, and they have very, very good players. But then you look at the Giants, and they've figured a way out to have mediocre players play at their best capable possibilities. You're getting Brandon Crawford, who's 35 years old, having the best season of his career. While I am shocked by it, I don't understand how. Clearly, the Giants figured something out with Brandon Crawford that has elevated his game. The Mets need to find these kind of people who can help elevate the guys that we have here right now, as well as bring in the right guys to help fill out that roster. Because again, we just haven't had the depth that we thought we did going into the season. I think we completely undervalued that, and it's really showing here down the stretch. Dude, even if you want to look at the team closer than the Giants, the Atlanta Braves in our own division have used so have used their depth so well this season, especially since the trade deadline. But you look at a player like Tuki Toussaint, who so many people wrote off over the last few years, said he was a reliever, he'll never be a pitcher. He's given the Braves like 40 really, really good innings over the last month or so. Oscar Inoa came out of God knows where to have a great season for them. That's very similar to McGill for us, but like, of course, much better. But like, they've gotten so much contribution from so many names that you wouldn't have expected. Like, we've talked a lot about the trade deadline, getting Duval, Soler, Peterson, Eddie Rosario. That's four outfielders. The Braves acquired four outfielders at the trade deadline. Like, you only play three. Oh, the Mets will be like, oh my God, we can't acquire a fourth outfielder. Then how is Jeff McNeil going to get his at bat? It doesn't fucking matter. Pressure makes diamonds. The cream rises to the top. You just have to get in players, not care about feelings or anything. Like, Guillermo Heredia was playing very well for the Braves. They weren't like, we have our depth outfielder. Let's get more depth outfielders. Jack Peterson, to the curb. Jack Peterson's a guy who's played in the World Series. No one thinks Jack Peterson's going to be the best player in baseball, but nobody would tell you he's not valuable. Like, and that he's not better than Guillermo Heredia. No, of course. Like, ah, they pulled, like Richard Rodriguez, they pulled him in the trade deadlines. Very valuable reliever, especially in the season when um, Will Smith and Chris Martin have struggled. And Luke Jackson is just not very good. Like, Tyler Matzik went down. He was one of the best relievers for most of the year. People step up. Do some shit like that. Like, I, Mets were just scared of death for some reason because everyone was such goddamn good friends. The Braves lost Ronald Acuna Jr., and they've been better since. It doesn't that 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 right there is the sentence right there because Ronald Acuna Jr., in all intents and purposes, is our Jacob DeGrom. He is the best yeah. player on that team. He is the most valuable player on that team. He's a top five player in baseball when he's healthy. I think there's no doubt in anybody's mind how good that kid is. And they lost him, and they got better. The Mets had an opportunity to do something similar. The Mets had an opportunity to trade for everybody. They gave up nothing for the guys that they got. Nothing. 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 Riley Adams. Riley friggin' Adams. Whatever, whoever it was. I don't oh, even no, know that who was it was. That was the Brad Hantrade. That was the Brad Hantrade. The Braves yeah. gave up another backup catcher to get Duval. I forgot who it was. They gave up Alex Jackson. Alex That's Jackson, what it was. that was it. That guy sucks. That would be... We could have traded Tomas Nito. That's what you're telling me right there. Because Alex Jackson is not even a third of the player that Tomas Nito is. Alex Jackson's way worse. We could have traded Tomas Nito for Adam Duvall. Oh, definitely. But <laughs> Hello? This, this also just comes down to general team-building philosophy and where the Mets seem to probably still be behind. The Braves knew they weren't going to be able to replace Ronald Acuna with one player. They weren't yep. going to deplete their farm system to go out and acquire like some of the best players on the market, like a Javi or Chris Bryant 
or um, who's another big bat that was traded? Nelson Cruz, even if it doesn't count for the Trey Turner. <laughs> Trey Turner, like, you weren't going to get a guy like that. So they're like, let's play the scrap heap, let's find a market ineff- inefficiency, and let's just get a bunch of players. Eventually, some of these guys who all still have pretty good projections in the grand scheme of things will step up because they're good, consistent, solid major leaguers. They have been for a while. All these proven track records. The Mets don't have anyone on the roster with a proven track record like Eddie Rosario, as insane of a, sen- as a sentence that is. Jorge Soler is, like, top five in baseball home runs over the last four years. Like, they got him for nothing, nothing at all. The Royals gave him away. Like, these opportunities existed. And again, I'm not going to kill the Mets trade deadline because Rich Hill's been good, Trevor Williams has been adequate, and Javi Baez has been great. They did it, but there just had to be more filler taken in, and you just had to get more bodies. And for some reason, we just didn't feel the need to do that. Yeah, team building aspect. It's a problem. It's something that we definitely need to look into this offseason, and something that honestly I think we're probably going to talk about a lot. Me and you, we've done it the last couple years, looking for these guys that could be the next Darren Ruffs or the next Lamont Wade Juniors. You were big on a guy like Ryan Cordell, who was a Met a few years ago. I would have loved to have given him another shot. Like, he has the tools that can make you think that why not make it work if you put him in the right scenario? So hopefully the Mets address that this offseason. Um, let's finish up game three here. The Mets have one win since that Sunday night win against the New York Yankees when we said they're back. We are not back. We are done. We're dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And then some other, I guess, housekeeping things here. Noah Syndergaard rehabbing, but is he even rehabbing? What is that? It's such a farce what's going on with Noah Syndergaard and even Jacob DeGrom. Now, the fact that these guys are even throwing pitches off a mound is completely disgraceful. Like, there's no reason for this whatsoever. Noah Syndergaard can't throw a breaking ball. His fastball's maxing out like 95. That's not good. He's, that's a subpar pitcher. That's not it, no, a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and like an 88-mile-an-hour changeup. Who, who's not going to hit that in Major League Baseball? He gets the qualifying offer, obviously, right, but you don't, you don't give a long-term contract at all now. Or if you do, you completely undersell, right? No, I'm going to I'm gonna lowball the shit out of Noah Syndergaard. I really don't care at all, but I'm sure there's still a good pitcher in there. Sometimes it just takes guys like 18 months instead of 12 to come back from Tommy John surgery. We've seen that a lot of pitchers in the past. Like It took Zach Wheeler about two full years, and he became one of the best pitchers in baseball. I have no doubt that five years down the line, Noah Syndergaard will be like one of the 30 best pitchers in baseball because he's still like not even 30 years old. He's still sick. Yeah, he's still sick. Pitchers' primes are a little bit later than hitters' primes because it's so much more about like your mind than your physical ability because... If you're a freak like like a Max Scherzer or Charlie Morton, that physical ability will not wane as long as you're training properly. The guy like Alex Cobb is going to have a career renaissance right now from 35 to 38. Like, there's no doubt about it. You can't let go of Noah Syndergaard, but what's going on right now is troubling, strange, and very old Mets-like. Yes, very old Mets-like. He should not throw a pitch in a major league game this year. Absolutely not. I think another thing to talk about here with pitching, uh, Kyle, was it Bodie? Bodie? I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think Bodie. Bodie. Kyle Bodie, if you guys don't know who he is, he's the driveline guy. Uh, yeah. He worked with the Reds. He was the guy who's been the architect behind all their pitchers getting better. I mean, every single one Watch of them. Better. I know he shall not be named, but Trevor Bauer, big reason why his game elevated so much was because of Kyle Body. And, Bodie. It, and you look up and down the Red system this year. Like Guys like Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green took massive steps forward. Vladimir Gutierrez just came out of the clear blue sky to be a consistent Major League pitcher. W- Wade Miley's having a career season. A very low-key prospect on the Reds named Graham Ashcraft just, like, dominated this season. He went from high A to double A, striking out 34% of the batters in high A, 25% of the batters in double A. No, like, literally no kind of prospect pedigree whatsoever, but he just throws, like, 98 now with a great slider and a great curveball. When you have all this technology and data, you could turn pitchers into, like, machines. Like, you got to do it. And the Reds have let him go because they're a poorly run organization who treats their own, like, dog shit besides Joey Votto. They're basically told Kyle Body they're not going to renew him, they're not going to pay him, even though he's been like a central piece of the organization for the two years since he's been hired. During the um the shortened 2020 draft that only went five rounds, 
there was a lot of competition to sign the undrafted players. And a lot of pitchers have said that. A lot of pitchers signed with the Reds after that draft, and most of them did it because they said it was Kyle Boddy. And I remember some crazy, like, FCS or Division Two, I think, reliever, some guy with crazy strikeouts and crazy stuff who wasn't drafted because he had no pedigree, said that basically every single team in baseball offered him a deal. And that team's like, we can put you in this situation. We'd love to do this with you. We love you for this and that. He said Kyle Boddy came to him with an entire plan of action for his next, like, two years of development. Exactly how he was going to train him to be the best he possibly could be. And now he's talking to the Mets about possibly joining our organization. And boy, would that be a slam dunk. Yeah, there's been some conflicting uh, reports. Of course, Andy Martino, who just wants to rain on every Mets fan parade any chance he can, said that there's been no talks, but then other people have been saying that there's heavy talks, that the Mets are super interested. Whatever it is, uh, Kyle Body plus Jeremy Hefner, the two pitching whispers in baseball, uh, sign me up. Get those two married. Whatever it takes, pay him. Pay him. Give him the money, Steve. Whatever he wants. Give it to him. This guy is at the front line of pitching innovation. He has been. You need to get this guy there because this can help the farm system. This can help the guys that we have here now. You can turn turds to diamonds in the rough, basically. I don't even want to say turds. It's a little harsh. But, like, you can just take guys who aren't particularly special and maybe make them into something. And then that makes your farm system even stronger. You can trade those guys and then bring in big pieces. Like, it's just, it seems so smart. Especially because, like you alluded to, the Mets farm system, especially in terms of pitching, is very much lacking. We don't really have any guys in our entire system who I would say have like frontline potential. Like I talk about Jose Budo, Adam Aller, like these are fine pitchers. McGill has been definitely a success story this year, but Jose Budo can't be the best pitching prospect in your organization. Like you're yeah. probably not great. The guy throws mid nineties with a good changeup. Like that's fine. Like he, I think he'll be a major leaguer, but. Kyle Body's taking freaks and turning them into monsters. He's taking regular people and turning them into freaks. Like that is something that can really change the outlook of of your minor league system. I'd love to bring him in. I really would. The two pitching whispers, sign me up. Sign me up right now. I just hope it wouldn't be Body at the expense of Hefner. I would be pretty upset about that. Yeah, that would that I wouldn't I wouldn't like that. I don't want to get rid of both of them. I want Jeremy Hefner here as long as possible. We know we're the Hef crew. Yeah, my Hefner jersey would really, really look like really look stupid if that happened. That would really suck. <laughs> And then fine. we got some positive news. Um, I mean, not really. It's kind of that's kind of mean. But Albert Almora got DFA'd, so I'm happy. That was before Game Three, which is just like fine. Exercise Poor guy. The demons. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a great dude. But great dude. good riddance. Smell you later. Never come back. I don't know if he's going to get another at bat in the major leagues again. He's a prime KBO candidate. It's just so crazy to watch like the decline of Albert Almora from like a super prospect who like was in all the trade uh, possible offers for some of the best players in baseball when the Cubs were making their rise. He was a a very competent player for them. He made major contributions to some very good teams, and he's just. Can't hit. He's not even that great at defense anymore. He's just a bad player. Like, there's just no way around it. I think a lot of it had to do with, like, when he did hit that girl and, like, in the stands. Yeah. I think that probably has done a little bit to his mental side of the game, and that's really, really tough. Um, don't wish that on anybody, but, yeah, I, I, I just don't need to see that experiment with the Mets. So, yeah, he's gone. See you later. Whatever. And then just one other kind of funny thing I want to bring up is uh, all our football fans out there, the Giants uh, today, and playing another dreadfully brutal game, an awful loss for the New York Giants, one of the worst uh, New York football teams out there. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tied... talk about the other one. No, uh, I don't even they play the game yet. Three bye weeks in a row, shocking. But <laughs> <laughs> the Giants, very uh, in a very timely manner, retired Eli Manning's number today, put him in the ring of honor, had a great halftime ceremony. Wouldn't that be cool for a team to retire guys' numbers in, like, a good manner? People who meant a lot to their organization? It'd be cool if, like, David Wright could have his number retired. He's been retired for, what, th- two, three years now? 
His number should be retired right now. Jerry Kuzman retired in 1985, and the Mets retired his number this year, 2021. They almost waited 40 years to retire Jerry Kuzman's number. I mean, a lot of that is the Wilpon stuff, to be fair. Like, I think uh, think Steve was, like, very much uh, in the forefront of wanting to get these guys' numbers retired. There's a list of guys that should be retired. Keith, uh, David Wright. We got Piazza, so we don't have to worry about him. Uh, You could retire Johan. I'd be cool with that. You can't retire Johan. Come on. Threw a no-hitter. He was great for us. Dude, he played for the Mets for like six years. Yes, so you can't be retiring this many numbers if you don't have that many accolades on your team. Like people still That's gotta fair. wear numbers. We're not the Yankees. Like the Yankees retire a lot of numbers because they have like tons of MVPs. Retire Cespedes, like whatever. Yeah, retire like, them all. We're getting down a slippery slope. It's like the stupid fucking montage the Mets play before every single game, where oh, they yeah. where they give they play mark the date for like super inconspicuous, inconsequential events in the history it's of the like, team. The Mets Mets won a wild card game. <laughs> Mets won the division in 1988. 1988 was a ridiculously disappointing season. The last year that that core was together, and they lost the series to a Dodgers team that was significantly worse than they were. Why like, are we celebrating that? The Todd Pratt uh, big home run yeah. in like, the playoffs. It's like, what did the Mets do that year? They lost the next series. They were Dodgers. It was like an NLDS home run in 1999. Why is that on our montage? <laughs> that montage so the- is eight minutes long. It could be 48 seconds. We're the Mets, man. We're the Mets. There's just not a whole lot of great that's gone on in the... what. 60 years of existence i i was at um a subway series game with one of my buddies shout out to luke a big yankee fan also just a big fucking troll what the torn <laughs> in your side is hanging out with luke iorio he knows if he's not gonna listen to this but i'll just talk shit to him nonstop. and now every single time the mets do something minorly good which hasn't been that much in the last few weeks but i remember after the javi um thumbs down game turned into the walk-off hit he was like put it on the montage <laughs> <laughs> they probably would they probably would if they could make those edits if they if they re-sign him it's gonna be on the montage <laughs> yes For, oh 100 in the video next year without a doubt it's ridiculous but yeah also like when the lindor hit that big home run saying that baseball he's like that's on the montage and i was like i hate you but you're right <laughs> you're so right Remember when Francisco Lindor had his moment, three home runs in one game? That was cool. Francisco Lindor with a signature Mets moment in the second inning. Thanks, <laughs> Mad Vascarian, you fucking uh, idiot. He's awful. All right, Terrible. well, who do we got next? The Marlins, man. This is it. This is oh, closure. yeah, we're going, we're going to a bunch of games. We're breaking up with the mess. It's gonna be. We're going to get really drunk and get sloppy this week. It's going to be so, awesome. If you guys are there, keep an eye out for us. We're going to be all around the ballpark. Going to be sitting behind home plate a little bit. Oh, no, we're, we're going to sneak into the club level, no doubt. Going to be sitting behind home plate a little bit. Maybe a little uh, upper deck action to be with the, the folk that are the true fans, of course. And we'll be with the Richies, too. Why not? But uh, if you see us, make sure you say what's up. Say hi. Love talking to the fans. Love interacting with you guys. And let's have some fun at a Mets game because watching them on the field going to be painful. It's going to stink. It really is. But we can make the most of it. Have a couple drinks, a hot dog. Enjoy our time. Yeah, literally. If anyone's at the game this week, hit up our uh, messages, tweet at us. We'll definitely like to say hi because then just commiserate together because this team is such a fucking disaster. Yeah. Uh, pitching matchups, let's just do it for the sake of consistency. Let's let's find out who we're going to watch pitch this week. All right. We've got Marcus Stroman pitching. Oh, we actually have a doubleheader on Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Doubleheader Mar- Tuesday. Marcus Stroman game one against uh, Trevor Rogers. That's not going to be fun. Taiwan Walker in the second game. He's probably going to get shelled. Tyler McGill on Wednesday night versus Eliezer Hernandez. That probably won't be great. And our ace, Rich Hill, is going to... No, another ace. Disrespect to Marcus Stroman. It's not true. Toe in the rubber on Thursday night as we send off the Mets season against Edward Cabrera. And we'll be behind home plate for that game. Can't wait. We get to watch yes, Rich Hill in the prime seats and the best seats in the house. I'm excited to have a nice, comfy cushion seat to see Rich Hill throw 86. <laughs> I, I want to get his attention. I want to like tell Rich Hill he's done a great job. I want to like, oh. make eye contact with him and compliment him. All right. Uh, stadium going to be empty? 
what's what's gonna be the vibe at the stadium for this? It's gonna be so here? empty, dude. It was so empty last week. The stadium's gonna be absolutely empty. The Red Sox, uh, the Philly series looked like a joke, and that was on a weekend. Even those Cardinals games looked ridiculous. Like, I can't see there being more than twenty thousand people at any of these games. It's gonna be uh, we're gonna have a blast regardless. I'm not oh, gonna allow gonna be- myself to let the game ruin it. No, we're very much going to get after it. Even the game that we are going to be sitting close because we we just we went we bought some club seats for a very affordable rate. I want to get there at like five o'clock. Really, just take it oh, all yeah. in. Oh, definitely, definitely, and a few uh, few road sodas as well. Why not? A few beverages, <laughs> no doubt, will be consumed. Well, I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap up episode number fifty three of the Mets Up podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Mets Up. YouTube channel, Messed Up Podcast. You can find our video content there. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Me, myself, Mark Luino, at Giraffe Neck Mark with the C. Uh, yeah. Give us a five star rating. Give us a review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast. That's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>